Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver with a jam-packed show on tap for you guys tonight, all NFL with a hint of college here and there. I'll give you my 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 best six teams in college football going into play. I'll do a little, little, little snippet, okay? You gotta, gotta, gotta give college football some love after what was a great weekend with all the rivalry games, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn. What another insane finish in the Iron Bowl. It's a crazy college football weekend, but also a fantastic NFL weekend. I'm about to lead off with Philadelphia. A lot of folks talking about, oh, Eagles are lucky. Yeah, they're getting lucky in these late games. Well, yes. But I don't think we should diminish them for it, and I'll tell you why in just a second as well as why the Buffalo Bills got full clarity. Sean McDermott is the problem in Buffalo, which is something I've been saying literally all season long. Getting to that in about 10 to 15 minutes. Also, the Kansas City Chiefs offense, it is official. They are very much back after dominating the Raiders yesterday and just putting an offensive spectacle together in the second half. I'll detail that. Also, my Pittsburgh Steelers. Here we go. Here we go, Steelers. I, I, I think we may have an offense. Yes, we only scored 16 against the Cincinnati Bengals, but there were some some silver linings, some flashes, some things I saw uh, watching the game and some numbers I looked at after where I'm like, we may be back. We may actually have a shot to, dare I say, win the AFC North, even over the current one seed, Baltimore Ravens. I'll get to that as well as a recap of other NFL games in week uh, in week 12, rather, not week 11. Week 12, uh, Frank Wright fired by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I don't love it. I'll detail why. And at the end of today's show, Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, NFC North, Monday Night Football, big, big matchup, especially for Minnesota, that I will get to uh, at the end of the show and predict at the end of the show. Real quick, we got a comment here by my man, Patrick Brown. What's up, Patrick? Uh, he says, what's up, bro? Happy Monday. Hope you're staying warm. It is cold outside where I'm at, Patrick. It's Listen, it's late November. You know, holidays are fast approaching. Thanksgiving weekend is over. So we're looking towards, you know, whatever holiday you, you celebrate at Christmas and and Hanukkah, it's, it's, you know, weather's getting colder. So, yeah, definitely doing my best to stay warm. Got this nice, you know, nice warm black hoodie. I don't have a Steelers hoodie yet. I will hopefully get that uh, soon to, so to add to my, my hat and my, and my terrible towel. But first, I want to preface everything I'm about to say by detailing this. I hate the Philadelphia Eagles. Not only do I hate them, I hate them passionately. And by the way, I say hate, of course, in a sports context. I don't hate anybody, any individual person or entity. But um, I don't like the Eagles' uh, colors. I don't like the city of Philadelphia. Their fans are the most obnoxious and vulgar there is in all of the land. Although Boston, when it comes to vulgarity, they 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 make a, a strong case when it comes to, you know, just in terms of how they act, their decorum. Alabama fans don't come that far behind. I, I don't like anything about the Eagles. So I want to emphasize that before I say what I'm about to say and it's kind of the core of my argument. This whole, ah, you know, Philadelphia's lucky. Ah, you know, they, they just they somehow just back into these wins. Yes, they are lucky. But that shouldn't be looked at as some sort of uh, detractor from what they're doing as a team. It's not even only a situation where Ah, oh, 10-1. and one. I don't totally upset all season. I don't totally buy into the old Bill Parcells quote, and I quote Bill Parcells often on the show, but the old Bill Parcells quote, you are what your record says you are. Philadelphia is one of those teams. Yeah, they are what the record says they are. They look like a 10-1 team, at least in the offensive side of the ball. Getting the defense a little later. But uh, ah, Eagles are lucky. These last four games, they've just escaped. Just got out of here barely with uh, barely intact. 
you know, against Washington, who, you know, 4-8 and eight Washington today, and against Dallas, and against the defending champion Chiefs, who I'll talk about later in the show. And then yesterday against the Bills, they just barely escaped. They got lucky. Yes, so did the 2014 New England Patriots, who, due to preparation and due to a beyond bad call by whoever called that play for Seattle, not run the ball with Marshawn at the one-yard line, yeah, they got lucky, but they have rings to show for it. The 2015 Warriors did not play the starting point guard. I'm a Warriors fan, by the way. The starting point guard for any of their playoff opponents in 2015. None of them. Heck, last year's Georgia Bulldogs are a made, a made field goal by Ohio State away from losing the semifinal, and we're not talking about them as the back-to-back -back defending national champions. Every team, especially great ones, get lucky. This is why I've always pushed back against the argument about, oh, this team, there's an asterisk next to their title. No, no, no. The only asterisk next to anybody's title is if there's some sort of explicit, clear, and obvious cheating. See the 2017 Houston Astros. That, there's an asterisk next to that title. That's an illegitimate championship. Everybody else, one fair and square, play by, play by the rules, so to speak. Yes, did they get lucky? Of course. Every great team gets lucky. I was not aware that this was the English Premier League or the college football playoff where, oh, you need style points. It's got to look a certain way. Isn't that why I and a lot of folks say I don't care if Florida State goes undefeated? That is not, they are not objectively one of the four best teams in college football. That doesn't matter in the NFL. Philadelphia's not competing for a playoff spot through sexy style points. They do it because they know how to win. And they know how to win different ways. This is what I said on Wednesday's show. And this is why a Philly over San Francisco, who, at least to me, inexplicably, the Niners are favored at Philly. It's one thing if the Niners were two and a half point favorites, it's at home. Ah, that would make sense. These are two evenly matched teams when you really you know, carve them up, so to speak, to use the name of the show. But Philadelphia is a dog at home. San Francisco's great. But you know what I haven't seen San Francisco do? Win when things aren't perfect. Whether that's on Brock Purdy, whether that's on Kyle Shanahan, the defense, everybody. Oh, I've seen Philly win a lot when things aren't perfect. They certainly weren't perfect against Sam Howell, the Washington Commanders, on the road, divisional rival. For the record, this team beat you last year in Philly on Monday Night Football. It was Jalen Hurts' only loss last season outside of the Super Bowl was to Washington. Sam Howell's dealing. Deal, he's, he's getting to Terry McLaurin and all the playmakers for the Commanders. And Philly somehow finds a way to win because Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown are literally unstoppable in the second half. Against the Dallas Cowboys, in a game where their quarterback gets outplayed by the other team's quarterback, Dak Prescott, they somehow find a way to win. Why? Situational football. Picking up big third downs. Executing well defensively late game. Getting against a red-hot Cowboys offense with Dak. Got to stop on fourth down. Got to stop in, uh, in, in the end zone when, when Dallas and Dak threatened to, to punch it in for the win there at the end. Execution. Uh, good coaching. Two weeks, two weeks later. Oh, you know, our quarterback's out playing the other team's quarterback, Jalen Hurts, to Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, this is Mahomes. This is Andy Reid coming off of a bye. This is Travis Kelsey. This is all these receivers in Kansas City who we get on for the drops. But they do separate. That's the separating is not their issue. Yeah, they can win an ugly game. A defense, again, get into them later, that I have massive, beyond massive questions about. The numbers back it up. Philadelphia won a defensive battle at Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. And then yesterday, short week, not a lot of rest. Yes, they're at home, but they're in crappy weather. And that's an understatement. The weather was sucked in Philadelphia yesterday. Josh Allen was 
had his best game of the season. That, I'll get into Buffalo in about five to ten minutes. That game was not on Josh Allen. I think we'd all agree with that. But Josh Allen's playing unbelievable, carving up your defense, and Jalen Hurts leads a tying drive in the at the at the end of the fourth quarter, led multiple go-ahead drives before that, and then in overtime led the walk-off drive. Yes, if Gabe Davis turns around or if him and Josh Allen on the same page, Buffalo wins that game. But don't we kind of get get on teams or make fun of teams who are handed breaks and don't capitalize? I think about the Cincinnati Bengals last year. Cincinnati was rolling last season. Joe Burrow was, people were saying, oh, is Joe Burrow better than Patrick Mahomes? I mean, he's 3-0 against Mahomes. He's beat Mahomes at Arrowhead. And AFC title game, Mahomes' ankle is barely functional at this point. And Kansas City won. And Mahomes outplayed Burrow. And I, I think I was in the minority of people who did this, but I put a lot of heat on Burrow and on the Bengals for not taking advantage. And I hate having to defend Philadelphia. I really do. I don't like the Eagles at all. I hope they don't win the Super Bowl. But I find myself in a position where I'm having to defend them. You know, it's not like you know, people get on Dallas for beating up on a, a, a weak schedule or Detroit or Miami or teams like that. This is, this is the toughest stretch of football that any team could be playing right now. And I said in week six, when Philly lost that game to the New York Jets and Zach Wilson didn't play great, but outplayed Hurts because Hurts threw three picks, could have been four. But I said... This upcoming stretch for Philly, Miami, Washington has beaten you in the past, Dallas twice, and San Francisco, and Buffalo, and Kansas City, and Seattle, at Seattle. If they get through the stretch with a, I said six and two, I'm all in on the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm certainly not going to backtrack now and act like, well, you know, actually there's an asterisk next to this. This notion that the Eagles are just the only team to get lucky. You know, it just happens week after week. Well, the 2015 Warriors got pretty lucky with, Playing a bunch of injured teams. Guess what? Nobody really cares. They have a ring to show for it. It doesn't really matter. Al Davis said it best, man. Just win, baby. NFL, it's not about style points. It's not about looking good. By the way, when has Philadelphia in a win looked aesthetically pleasing? It's not really their brand. People love them some Baltimore Ravens who aren't as skilled as Philadelphia. Lamar Jackson, and I love Lamar Jackson. He's not as good as Jalen Hurts. Coaching staff in Baltimore, great. They are not good in the fourth quarter, even in a win. We saw that last night. Philadelphia is an excellent fourth quarter team. And in last case, overtime team. Yes, Nick Sirianni gets on my nerves like he gets on everybody's nerves that doesn't live in Philadelphia. But outside of that, the Eagles, and I said this when, I remember after last year's NFC Championship game, I said, I hate the Eagles. I want to keep reemphasizing that. Hate the Eagles. But they are the absolute model of what you want your organization to look like. Smart. Hands-off owner, Jeffrey Lurie, not a meddler, not a Jerry Jones, or the guy David Tepper in Carolina who just fired another head coach today. Smart guy who employs smart people like Howie Roseman, who I would argue is the best general manager in the sport. It's either him or John Lynch, in my view, who is great in the draft, great in free agency, great in the at the trade deadline, adding Kevin Beinert and company, and it got guys last year. And Jalen Hurts, who even in a game where he was objectively awful in the first half. I think he had like 33 yards passing. He was terrible in the first half. Rebounds. <sighs> cool, calm, collect. I mean, Jay I mean, Jake Elliott makes that kick from 59 yards out. It was an incredible kick. All the pressure in the world. It's raining. It's crappy weather. Makes the kick. They show Jalen on the sideline. Not only is he does he look uh, unenthused, he's sitting there shaking his head. And you know what's going through Jalen's head? Man, we could have scored here. The way Buffalo is playing that defense, we could have played. We could have scored here. We could have won the game here. Now we got to go to overtime. 
cool, calm, collected, level-headed. If there's anybody to trust in the in the NFL when it's late game, fourth quarter, aside from Mahomes, not many guys I trust more than Jalen Hurts. Got to be, got to be honest with y'all. That guy is rock solid, and so is this Eagles organization and this Eagles roster. Yes, I've seen San Francisco at their peak dominate people. Same with Dallas, but. And this, to me, applies more to the Niners than it does the Cowboys. When things aren't going so well, uh, Brock Purdy doesn't look so special, does he? Kyle Shanahan. I love Shanahan. By the way, I love Purdy. Love Shanahan. Not looking so creative. Philadelphia. I don't care. Just roll the ball out. Let's go play football. Love that. They have multiple ways to beat you, which is why they are still today, not to spoil Bryson's best 10 on Wednesday, clearly the best team in the National Football League. And I'll get to Buffalo in just a second. Before I get to the comments, I should mention this. And this is the only, because I'm not going to sit up here and act like the Eagles are a perfect team. That is far from the truth. They're far from perfect. But um, I think they're the best in the league. Here's the only issue. Uh, if I could pull this up. Yes. The Eagles defensively, and this is in part why Josh Allen played so well, why a lot of quarterbacks, heck, Matt Jones, who got benched one, two, three, four for the fourth time yesterday. Uh Philadelphia, if you look at their defensive numbers, and I've been beating this beating this drum for a while now, there's some concerns there. Philadelphia, 20th in the NFL in points per game given up, 29th in the NFL in pass yards per game given up, 30th in opponent touchdown to interception ratio. That's also 30th in the league. And at 30th as well, opponent third down percentage. Now, for the record, um, they allowed... For context, on the pass yards per game, they're giving up uh, 255.7 yards per game, passing yards per game, this year. That's 29th in the NFL. Last year, they only gave up 179.8 yards in the NFL per game, pass yards per game. That was best in the NFL. So you're, this is like a 75-yard 75, 75 difference here. So the defense has taken a big step back. So that is a, that is a legitimate concern. I get that. But with that guy quarterback... That's what I say. I don't think I have the graphic here, but when I talk about blank check quarterbacks, guys, I've seen them win when things I don't have the graphic. I've seen them win when things aren't going peachy keen perfect. And everybody's hugging and kissing and singing kumbaya. I've seen them win when, well, I mean, yesterday, terrible weather, other quarterback is dominating your defense, and you still find a way to pull it out because that's what Jalen Hurts is made of. Hate the Eagles. Love Jalen Hurts. Got some comments here. Patrick Brown got a couple Cowboys fans here in the comments. One of them is Patrick Brown. He says, why Eagles? Why? As a Cowboys fan, I despise their fans. Only two athletes who play for the city, Allen Iverson and Dr. J. Other than that, no love lost for Philadelphia. Totally understand that AI was the man. He says, the two famous athletes, the only ones, the only ones I love who wore the Sixers jerseys. Philip Chanel, what's up, Philip? He says, I hate that... Uh, he said, I hate that this, but the fact is the Eagles win tough games, and that's why they're the favorites to win the championship today. They're 10 and ones for 10 and one for a reason. Philly wins close games. They are battle tested. We haven't seen Dallas or San Francisco do that this year. I agree. Patrick, Philly makes me sick. There has to be a way to beat them. Hopefully the Niners don't wet the bed next Sunday. Yeah, and see, I, I remember I was saying on um on the show on Friday, I said the Eagles Bills game was the if I were a Batman game. Uh, which is the game I have every week. Again, that's I I, I am not a betting man under most circumstances. I start, I don't go to sports books. Uh, you know, maybe you know nice little wagers with with family and loved ones. But uh, generally speaking, I'm not a betting man. But a betting man. If I were a betting man, 
I would have taken Buffalo plus three. And it ended up being a push because Philly won uh, by three. But I said, Buffalo, desperate. They need a win here in Philadelphia. The Bills' next few games, about to get into Buffalo in literally just a second. But the Bills' next few games, you got Kansas City, you got Dallas. Yeah, the Chargers are 4-7, but they're the most unpredictable 4-7 and team we've seen. Justin Herbert's capable of going off any given Sunday. Buffalo needed to win this game. And uh, Philadelphia, not a lot of rest after the emotional win against Kansas City. Maybe don't take the Bills so seriously. But um, and, I, and I felt pretty good about that for a while. And I had the Eagles winning on a walk-off field goal. They won a walk-off touchdown, so I was somewhat close. Although, again, I, they, they, the Bills did not end up covering. It ended up being a push. But let's talk about Buffalo because... So they lose the game 37-34 in overtime. Um, I have, I think it's fair to say I've gained the reputation this season as certainly not a Josh Allen hater. You, it is completely unfair and undeserved to call me a Josh Allen hater. Uh, I have said religiously for years, at his peak, you can go toe-to-toe with the best in the NFL. That's more you could say it about 85, 90%, maybe more, of NFL quarterbacks. Josh Allen is a special talent. He has a special arm. He's mobile. He's big. He's strong. He's, he's durable. Um, my criticism of Josh has been decision-making leaves a lot to be desired. You can't pin that on him yesterday. You can't. 29 to 51. Yes, high 50%, high 50s completion percentage. Not great, but again, 51 attempts. Probably not going to look like Joe Burrow out there in terms of accuracy. 339 yards, he ran for another 81, two touchdowns through the air, two on the ground, QBR of 83, pass rating of 82. I cannot believe the pass rating uh, was that low, but I guess that's how the stats bear out. But Josh was spectacular. You can't put an ounce of blame on this. It's so many times through Bills losses this year, and I, I said before the season, I don't think the Bills are a playoff team. I don't think the roster is that good. I think outside of Stephon Diggs, the, the, the receiving core is kind of limited. If Gabe Davis, everybody's crushing Gabe Davis today, um, but if you know, listen, if Gabe Davis is your two, you probably need to upgrade it too. Gabe Davis is a darn good three, not a great number two receiver to Stephon Diggs, and we know the elite player that 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 Diggs is. Defense lost some players. They lost their defensive coordinator. Now Sean McDermott calls the defense. Uh, again, Ken Dorsey I had massive questions about as the OC. Those were validated because he was fired two weeks ago. So a lot of questions, as I always say, about championship contenders more so than I do playoff contenders. If I have more questions than I do answers about you, you're not a championship contender. Now, can you be a playoff team? Sure. I have way more questions than answers about the Cleveland Browns. Look at their schedule. Despite the quarterback situation, depending on the health of Miles Garrett, Browns have a good shot to make the playoffs. They're not a title contender. I think even, you know, non-delusional Cleveland fans would agree with me on that. Last night in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love provided all the clarity we need on the Buffalo Bills. Oftentimes, I've gone back and forth, as I said. Is this game Josh Allen's fault? Is it Sean McDermott's fault? Mix of the two, 50-50. Yeah, we got to put... Um, we got to put 100% of the blame 100% of the blame on the head coach. Now, I don't want to make it sound like Sean McDermott is Brandon Staley cuz he's not. Brandon Staley is as bad as bad can be in late game situation. His defense is now they played well last night, but overwhelmingly as a defensive coach, his defenses have been terrible. Sean McDermott's a good coach. The Bills have made an AFC championship game with him. They were 13 seconds away from making another AFC championship game with him. I've compared him, and this means a lot to me as a Warriors fan, I've compared him to Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, again, I will <laughs> I will die in this hill if I have to. Mark Jackson should still be coaching the NBA. It is messed up what the NBA has done to this guy. Love Mark Jackson, should still be coaching. 
Sean McDermott should get an op another opportunity should the Bills move off of him to be a head coach somewhere. I firmly believe that. But they need the new innovative guy to take them to the next level. Mark Jackson was a great coach. Built confidence in Steph and Clay and Draymond and the other you know, supporting guys in Golden State. But oftentimes his offensive scheme was far too reliant on Steph. It was kind of like, Steph, save us. And if not, we're probably going to lose to the Clippers in the first round, which is what happened, or the Spurs, who are a much better team, the year before in the second round. Like, it had a limit to it. But you bring Steve Kerr in and his new system, five out, small ball, uh, Clay Thompson, you know, his his rise to, to being a great player, to being a Hall of Famer happens because of that. Andre Iguodala come out the bench. Draymond turns into an impact player. Uh, they needed a Steve Kerr. They did. The Bills need a guy like a Ben Johnson in Detroit or an Eric Bieniemy in Washington or somebody, a, an innovative guy who can take Josh Allen to the next level. Minimize the mistakes. Now, for the record, Joe Brady, you know, we're only two games in, but Joe Brady, the new offensive coordinator, pretty good. A lot better than Ken Dorsey, a lot better than the previous guy. You know, scored 30-plus on a great Jets defense last week, or at least a very good, a talented Jets defense last week. And not a great, great Philly defense, but in bad weather with no real true number two receiver, hung 34 on them. And Josh was spectacular. Yes, he threw the interception to Bradbury. It wasn't a great read. Listen, my, my thing with Josh has not always been, or it hasn't necessarily been just the interceptions or the turnovers in general, which he has led the NFL every single year uh, from when he came to the league to now, if you look since 2019, 2020, the whole bit, I've done segments on that. Um, but oftentimes it's a, I don't like when Josh turns the ball over in a low risk, in, I'm sorry, in a low reward, high risk situation where there's not a lot of good that's going to come out of his play, but there could be a lot of bad that comes out of his play. You know, if you throw an interception because you're taking a 50-yard bomb shot down the field, one-on-one man-to-man coverage, that's one thing. But a little, you know, like the route yesterday, not great. Uh, but 51 passes, if that was the one mistake, then I, I can live with that if I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott, though, is another matter. Sean McDermott, though, is, is another matter because Sean McDermott made three in the fourth quarter in overtime. Unforgivable errors. First of all, um... And this ties in overtime, but the last two drives for the Philadelphia Eagles, last two offensive drives for Philadelphia, okay? So the first drive, this is in the fourth quarter. This is when they drove down. Jake Elliott hit the game-tying field goal. More on that in just a second for, for McDermott's second error. But that drive for Philadelphia, uh, when they went down and tied the game in regulation, a minute 52 left on the clock, okay? Philadelphia has two timeouts remaining. So Philadelphia starts the 25, minute 52, two timeouts. That's obviously plenty of time for a quarterback like Jalen Hurts to do something. What the heck was that defense? Uh, I'm dead serious. Uh, and I remember criticizing this when they lost to the Bengals in the divisional round last year was they're petrified of giving up the big play, which you understand that in this case, you got A.J. Brown, you got Devontae Smith, got some real weapons in Philly, uh, not Quez Watkins, uh, Zacchaeus, who made a great catch in the end zone in the fourth quarter on a great Jalen Hurts throw. But you're playing almost a prevent defense when there's a little less than two minutes left. I don't get it. Jam the guys at the line of scrimmage. Don't, because Jalen, being the smart player he is, Philly being the smart team they are, they're like, Okay, you'll give us this 8-15 to 15 yard completion to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith. Okay, Jalen, okay, I'm going to sit back here. Here you go, Devontae. Go make a play. Go make a play after the catch. And they kept doing that over and over. Again, you look at the plays here, play sheet. Uh, again, A.J. Brown, 11-yard gain. Uh, Gainwell, 6-yard gain. Uh, Devontae Smith, 11-yard gain. Just keep getting just chunk play after chunk play because Buffalo's literally giving it to you. 
This isn't 20 seconds left, no timeouts, backed up at your own 10-yard line. You got to go 90 yards for the win. At that case, give, give Philadelphia just, you know, nothing cheap, nothing deep is what I've heard Shannon Sharp on television say. Shout out to Shannon Sharp. Nothing cheap, nothing deep. But you give them these, these completions right here, it's going to, again, minute 52, two timeouts, they can get a field goal range in no time. That's exactly what they did. The second mistake in terms of the field goal. So, again, how much time is left? 25 seconds, okay? 25 seconds are left on the clock. It's a 59-yard field goal by Jake Elliott, which we know now he he drilled. It was an awesome kick. Props to Elliott. He's a clutch kicker. Philadelphia threw, Jalen Hurts threw an incomplete pass to A.J. Brown the play before. So, you know, okay, Eagles offense coming off. Eagles special team's coming on. It's going to be a long field goal to try and tie this game up. The momentum is kind of, We know sports, football, it's a game of momentum shifts. Momentum's in Buffalo's favor because they're thinking as poorly as that drive could have went, there were some penalties on Jason Kelsey, you know, Jalen Hurts not making the greatest decisions, and, man, it's a long field goal. Ah, we'll take this as a win, so to speak. He called timeout to ice the kicker, which these days I'm not even really sure works, to be completely honest with you. feels like more coaches that call timeouts the more it off, which some of that is just the kickers these days are, most of them are really, really good. Good kickers are, of course. And Jake Elliott certainly constitutes as that. Just let it go. Let it play out. Because Philadelphia, Jalen Hurt, I'm sorry, uh, Jake Elliott, they were prepared to rush on the field, get the special teams out there, kick the field goal. And the blood's rushing a little bit. Maybe I'm underestimating Jake Elliott and his level of clutchness and the ice in his veins. But I think Sean McDermott calling that timeout, it let Jake Elliott... Take a deep breath. Okay, I've got this. I've hit a lot of these kicks before. I have a 60-yarder, multiple 60-yarders on my resume in the stadium. I've got this. Instead of split second, hey, kicker, go out here and make a bomb kick in terrible weather. What makes it even worse is what leads into my third point. That was Buffalo's, not the first timeout, their second timeout. So if it back, if, if it works, oh, Sean McDermott's a genius. He eyes the kicker. If it doesn't work, which it clearly didn't, he did not ice the kicker, Elliott hit the field goal. Buffalo's got one timeout and 20 seconds left instead of two timeouts and 20 seconds left. The third error by Sean McDermott is, is just blowing that timeout for no reason. And secondly, if there's any team in the NFL, any team in the NFL that knows, man, when you got a great quarterback, <laughs> they can beat you like that in the fourth quarter. It should be the Buffalo Bills. We all remember, 13 seconds, Bills look like they've won the game. They're up three. They kick the ball to Mahomes. Mahomes has 13 seconds from his own 25. Boom, boom, getting a field goal range. Harrison Bucker hits the tying field goal. Chiefs go on to win in overtime. Should Sean, should Sean McDermott not know, like, of, of more than any coach? Okay, I got a great quarterback in Josh Allen. He's playing unbelievable. We still kind of have some momentum given how we're playing offensively. 20 seconds is a timeout against that defense? Against a defense that, mind you, can I just read this off again? The Philadelphia Eagles, 20th in pass in opponents' points per game, 29th in pass yards per game, 30th in opponent touchdown to interception ratio, 30th in opponent third down percentage. They're not a good defense, especially against the pass. And he opted to take an E. Now, if Gabe Davis and Josh Allen are on the same page on that third down in overtime, we're not having that conversation today, and the Bills escape. But how many times this season I've said it over and over in wins and in losses. You know, I, I've heard before, like you don't you don't condone mistakes in wins that you wouldn't in losses. 
The Bills have been bad situationally against Tampa Bay, against the Jets, against uh, the first game against the Jets, obviously the Monday night game, and Aaron Rodgers went down against the Patriots. The Patriots! The 2-9 and nine Patriots! Mac Jones carved this defense up. Let a game-winning drive with two minutes to go. Multiple times this season against Denver, they were bad situationally. That is coaching. I think Sean McDermott is a good coach. I do. But he's not the guy that's going to get this Bills team over the top. And for the record, again, if they did have a Ben Johnson, an Eric Bieniemy, somebody, a good, young, smart uh, head coaching candidate who can work with Josh Allen, I still am not quite sure if the Bills will be contenders because I don't love the roster. There's some work that needs to be done on that. But, I mean, they'd be <laughs> they'd certainly be in the playoff mix. They wouldn't be 6-6. Six and six. Sean McDermott calls defensive plays. Defense let him down again. You know, uh, executing late in games. Again, I could just look at a list here. Jets, they were bad situationally. Uh, the Giants game, which they won, terrible situationally. Just the Giants were worse. They were bad against the Patriots situationally. They're, they were bad against Tampa situationally. Bad against the Broncos situationally. Bad against the Eagles situationally. That's on the coach. And in almost none of these instances does that fall on Josh Allen, who I criticize. I get on him about the, the, the decision-making. That game went on him. A lot of these games haven't been on him. It's time for the Bills to look themselves in the mirror. Understand that, you know, for the next decade, you have to go and get some Holmes, and Trevor Lawrence, and increasingly C.J. Stroud and Lamar Jackson. It's a loaded conference with great quarterbacks and great coaches. We have a great quarterback. Is the coach the guy that's going to get us over the top and help us finally get our first Super Bowl as a franchise? I have serious doubts if I'm a Bills fan. Josh is the guy. Everybody knows that. Got to move on from Sean McDermott. There's no question about it. Not saying fire in midseason. You play the season out. You see what happens. Then move on from him. Maybe even consider making Joe Brady head coach. I don't know. Philip, Philip is in the comments. He says McDermott has got to go. He is 0-5 in overtime games. He is not the coach for that team. He has choked multiple times this season. It, it, it's just... When a team is this bad late in games over and over, it's, you know, it's the old, I think it's the Maya Angelou quote, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. We're at Thanksgiving. We're, we're 12 games in the season for the Bills. We know who they are. Very talented at quarterback. Very talented in terms of their number one receiver. Some players defensively, who are they? They're a team that struggles. To, I mean, we, we crushed the Chargers, rightfully so, for how bad they are late games. I'm not sure Buffalo hasn't been worse this season. Including in wins, by the way. Including in wins. Bad, bad, bad stuff. Buffalo's putting on tape in the fourth quarter and in overtime of these games. Can't happen. Again, not a contender, but got, got to clean some of this stuff up, and we simply haven't seen them do that through 12 games. I just, I, I was, that last part, though, the last thing I mentioned about Sean McDermott, the fact that, his quarterback is red hot. I mean, this is like a classic, as, as even though it's bad weather, it didn't seem to affect the quarterbacks really in the second half and overtime. Uh, this is like a classic two great quarterbacks going blow for blow, back and forth, momentum shifts. And with the hot quarterback, you take a knee. With It'd be one, if there's five seconds left, okay, you take a knee, go to overtime, whatever. 20 seconds. You witnessed, you literally firsthand witnessed a guy go win the game on you with 13 seconds. You're telling me with an extra seven, you can't go win the game against a bad pass defense? 
the way the game was going, the fact that you had 31 points by that, I, I, I don't get it. I really don't. I really, really don't. Um, man, conservative coaching drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. Um, I did want to shift, though, to Kansas City because so there was a lot of uh, panic mode takes coming out of some of the media after they lost to the Eagles. And in some respects, I can understand why Mahomes against a defense that I literally just said has been terrible this season. Mahomes didn't play well, only 17 points through a really bad end zone interception to Kevin Bynard. Travis Kelsey had a, had a red zone fumble. Marquez Valdez Scantling had the drop of drops that could have given the Chiefs the lead and possibly the win. Heck, Justin Watson on a drive after that, I'm sorry, the play after that, uh, dropped a, or two plays after that, dropped a brutal fourth down play. Fourth down to mile when Mahomes delivered a perfect throw. So I can understand to a certain degree, okay, the Chiefs weren't good defensively in the fourth quarter. Mahomes made a big mistake. Kelsey made a big mistake. They are leading the league in drops coming in this one with 12. I understood that, but I said, and I've, I swear to you, I've been saying this since week two when they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 17-9. I said, look, this Kansas City defense is for real. They are legit in every sense of the word. If offense is their problem, you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. Sam Bryson, what about the explosive offense they had last year with that receiving core? Okay, the difference is they had Juju Smith-Schuster last year. If we can take a... Take a look at Mr. Uh, Smith-Schuster, and this isn't a, a dig at him, but if we can look at his his stats from this season with the New England Patriots, they aren't exactly uh, much to, to gawk over. Uh, 24 catches for 159 yards and one touchdown. You're telling me that, and I, I think Juju's a good player who's being wasted by some awful quarterback play in New England, so that should be taken into account. But you're telling me that's the difference between last year's Chiefs offense and this year's Chiefs offense. For the record, Mahomes... This year hasn't even been that bad. We talk about, I remember talking about this with Mahomes two years ago when, you know, they traded Tyree Kill and it's like, oh, Mahomes is going to crater. He's not going to be the same player. And I remember vividly saying, if 37 touchdowns is a down season, give me that player any day of the week. But if you look at Mahomes' numbers this season, folks, 21 touchdown passes, that's fourth in the league. He has the eighth best completion percentage, the eighth best pass yards per game, 10th best passer rating. By the way, the, the completion percentage, 68.1%. To this point, that's a career high. It's a career high. I mean, but, and listen, I don't think Mahomes the MVP, at least yet. I think he's still fighting with, with guys like, again, I think Dak's the front runner, CJ Stroud. I'm not going to totally, you know, pull him out of it yet, but last year's lo or last uh, night's loss didn't help. Yesterday's loss didn't help. Jalen's in the discussion. Uh, Mahomes is, you can't, you can't discount him in that regard. But what I like in what the Kansas City Chiefs did yesterday is like what a, let's say you work somewhere, okay? And you've been a great employee for a long time. Your bosses, everybody knows what they're going to get out of you. And one day you show up late. Okay, no harm, no foul. He showed up late. He or she showed up late. It's, you know, it happens. Maybe traffic was, was a problem. Maybe they slept through their alarm. You know, what happens? We're human. It, it happens. Uh, but we can count on you the next day. But then the next day you show up late again. It's like, okay, we need you to show up on time. And then you show up late again. It's like, uh, what's going on here? Then you show up late again. And it's like, uh, sir, ma'am, if you show up late tomorrow, we're firing you. And it's like, when you have, when you hear, you know, such a, such a thing like that, like you hear sometimes with people who aren't in the best health potentially, and you hear like the doctor say, Hey, this could be life threatening. And their whole lifestyle changes. When you hear, when you have situations where it's back against the wall, you got to go one way or the other sink or swim. Oftentimes the best of you comes out people that are, that are built like that. 
That's what you could say about the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes yesterday. They did nothing offensively in that first quarter. Terrible. Could not move the football against the Raiders defense, nonetheless. And Josh Jacobs, who's one of the better running backs in the league, hasn't had a great season this year, but we know what Josh Jacobs is capable of. It's the reason that he wanted the contract that he wanted last year. Josh Jacobs takes that puppy 63 yards to the house. And Kansas City's defense is reeling, and the Chiefs' offense is uh, not looking so great. It was a wake-up call. And a wake-up call for any great employee, any great business, any great human being or group, a talent of people. Back against the wall, you see who you really are. And we saw in the homes, Kelsey and the Chiefs really are after that. After Jacobs ran that in from 63 yards out, 12 plays, 71 yards, touchdown. Next drive, 8 plays, 79 yards, touchdown. Start the half, 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Two drives after that, 6 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. If the offense thing is what they're struggling with, call me crazy. Call me a psychopath. But I think with one of the smartest head coaches ever, the fourth greatest quarterback ever, at least in my eyes, certainly is when it's all said and done, is going to be recognized as one of the all-time greats. The greatest tight end ever in a phenomenal defense. Well, of course, that's, that's not related to offense. And a good enough receiving core given who you have around them. Call me nuts. I think they're going to figure it out. By the way, here's Patrick Mahomes' second half numbers. Uh, he was nothing short of spectacular against the Raiders in the second half. How about this? I'm sorry. This is after falling behind 14-0. Here's Mahomes' numbers. Completed 82% of his passes, threw for 286 yards, 10 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no picks, and a passer rating of 133. He was virtually flawless. Wicked call the Chiefs needed. The thing for Kansas City is... You got Green Bay next week. Now, that's at Lambeau. We know that can be a tough place to play. Uh, but the Chiefs are six-and-a-half-point row favorites in Lambeau. They should win. Uh, then you got the Bills. You never know when Mahomes and, and Allen meet up what could take place. Patriots, awful. Raiders at home. Kansas City will win. Cincinnati without Burrow. They'll win. At the Chargers, who very well might be out of playoff contention and resting Herbert and everybody else. Who knows? Staley might even be gone by that point. There's a very real possibility the Chiefs might actually win out. Very real possibility. So, when everybody was panicking last week, I said, let's wait. If offense is their problem, I think they can fix it. You know, if uh, if if speed, you know, 15 years ago, if um, speed was a, was a Usain, was, was Usain Bolt's problem, call me nuts, fastest man in the world, think he's going to figure it out. You know, if velocity 10 years ago was a Rollis Chapman's problem, call me nuts, think he's going to figure it out. If offense was the Kansas City Chiefs problem last weekend, at various points this season, I think they're going to figure it out. And honestly, yesterday, I think they did. I think they did. You saw what Rasheed, Rasheed Rice is capable of, rookie receiver they took. Nice player, 100 yards receiving. Isaiah Pacheco was active. Loved what I saw from the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. Say, ah, oh, it's the Raiders. Ah, who can't? It's divisional rivalry, divisional familiarity. I mean, heck, we see it in college football. Auburn's not supposed to compete with Alabama. Washington State's not supposed to compete with Washington. Familiarity, it's a real thing. There's no, no mystery, no surprise. And we know the Raiders, after moving on from McDaniels, are a far better coach team than they were. That's a impressive win by the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no question about it. Let's see what we got up in here in the comment section. Tyler Helton. What's up, Tyler? 
He says, Isaiah Pacheco is a beast. He played great. I've always been a big Pacheco guy. I remember he had a great Super Bowl against Philadelphia. Let's, let's check Pacheco's numbers. Uh, yeah, ran for a couple touchdowns. Uh, was very effective throughout the day. Uh, and he says, as, as a Kansas City fan, look, I'm so nervous about our offense and our defense. Nick Bolton is back soon coming. Yes, Nick Bolton, that's what we forget too. Is And Nick Bolton, for those of you who don't know who he is, go back and watch the Super Bowl. He, he might have made the play of the game. When you go back and look at it, Chiefs won by a field goal. The Hurts fumble. He picked it up and returned it for a touchdown. Uh, so he's an impact player at linebacker. He had the wrist injury. I forgot when he suffered it like a month ago or something. I think it might have been against the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken. But excellent player. Chris Jones. McDuffie in the secondary. I mean, they got some dudes. Uh, Karloftis rushing the passer. He's he's fantastic. And that Chiefs defense is fantastic. Tyler says Patrick Mahomes still owns the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, yeah, he does. He very much, and you know, he's never lost a road divisional game uh, in Vegas. And uh, we'll have to wait till next year to see if he if he does. Matter of fact, I think I think he only has one road divisional loss period, and that came earlier this year against the Broncos, who all of a sudden, you know, doesn't look like so bad of a loss now. The way Denver's playing, hats off to the Chiefs. I'm telling y'all, everybody panicked. I said last week on Wednesday. I still got them coming out of the AFC. I still trust them more than anybody in the NFC, in the AFC. Uh, impressive win by the Chiefs. No question about that. Real quick, though, a little detour from the NFL. Briefly mention college football because it is worth mentioning. Championship weekend is coming up. Oregon-Washington on Friday. Massive. The last Pac-12 championship game ever. Fitting because the the ramifications are massive. Literally, the winner is undeniably in the playoff between Oregon and Washington, who played this year. Washington won at home on a walk-off field goal, so it was fantastic. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas fighting for their playoff lives. Georgia, Alabama, uh, maybe the most entertaining uh, game potentially outside of Oregon and Washington. Uh, coming up, Michigan, Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. Michigan is going to absolutely roll Iowa. Uh, they literally are allergic to scoring points. And then Louisville, Florida State, big game for uh, for the Seminoles trying to get into the playoff uh, themselves, although I, I don't think they're one of the four best teams, especially, especially. I didn't think they were the four best teams with Jordan Travis. Without him, forget about it. Uh, but real quick, this these are my personal. I'll just put this up real quick. These are my personal college football playoff rankings. So I'll put it up right here on the screen. I'll read it off for the podcast audience. Okay, so there's my top four and then five and six, the first two teams out. No, what, number one, I got Georgia. Uh, listen, they've been the most consistently great team from start to finish. Again, when you consider what they've done to opponents like Ole Miss, when you consider what they've done to opponents, don't make fun of me, <laughs> but at Tennessee, Okay, I know, listen, I was there in attendance. That place, you couldn't hear anything. It was so loud. Actually broke the decibel record at Tennessee. It was like 135, 137 decibels. It was crazy in there. They didn't face Georgia at all. They scored 38 points. Um, they they dominated Missouri in many aspects of the game at home. So, and Missouri's a very good football team uh, in the SEC. So, Georgia, to me, is number one. Again, they, folks, they haven't lost a game in two years. They haven't lost a game since December of 2021 to the team that they're going to be playing on Saturday, Alabama. I got Michigan at second. Listen, Michigan, uh, people get on them. Ah, oh, the sign's stealing all this. Every single time they have been tested this season, they have responded. They have risen to the challenge. Obviously, they have impressive wins against Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, so, listen, Michigan, we know they've won the Big Ten the last two years. They're going to win it again this year. They were my national champion pick before the year, and I thought they would beat Georgia in the national title game. I feel like we're they're on a collision course to get there. Um, Ohio State's third. I, I'm sorry. From what I saw Saturday, you cannot convince me 
that Washington, who I've got fourth, Oregon at fifth, Texas at sixth. If you want to include Alabama, Florida State, you cannot convince me any team in all of college football aside from Georgia and Michigan is better than Ohio State. Defensively, they're fantastic. At quarterback, some limitations, but we know what Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. brings to the table as a receiver. He's one of the most, he's one of the great generational talents that position we've ever seen. I've got Ohio State third. Uh, in a, in a Michigan-Ohio State college football playoff game, why I don't believe to be likely, I think for, there's no question uh, that it would be it'd be a fantastic matchup uh, on a neutral site. Washington fourth. I get a lot of folks believe Oregon's better than Washington. I understand that. But Washington, it does matter, did beat Oregon last month, albeit at home. Michael Penix Jr., From as much as I love Bo Nix, I would take Penix. Uh, he just simply makes throws that are are. NFL level, uh, outside of Caleb Williams, I think he's the best quarterback prospect with respect to Drake May and Bo Nix coming up out of this uh, upcoming draft. Oregon's fifth, again, I just talked about Bo Nix. I think they're very well coached with Dan Lanning. Uh, very good defense, very good rush attack, great receivers, so I really like what Oregon's doing. Obviously, if they beat Washington, they're undoubtedly going to be in the playoff. They have a very, very impressive resume, as do the Huskies, for the record. And I've got Texas at sixth. The only reason I have Texas over Alabama, who I've got at seventh, is the fact that literally Texas – they beat Alabama. I get it was week two, but it was in Alabama. That stuff should matter. Uh, and the only loss this season is essentially a walk-off to a, a solid Oklahoma team who you know faded at the end of the season. But Oklahoma's riding high at that point. So that's my top four. So if the playoffs started today, put it up one more time. I'd have Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State third. I don't care about that loss. They're one of the three best teams in America. Washington fourth, and the first two out, Oregon and Texas. Now, if Alabama beats Georgia, you want to talk about chaos? Oh my gosh. I mean, Bama has to be at that point because they're a one-loss team and their only loss came to Texas. You know, not exactly, not, not too shabby. And he would have beaten Georgia. And he can't get Georgia out because, again, impressive resume, most dominant team start to finish, back-to-back -back national champs. You're not kicking Georgia out. <sighs> You're not kicking Michigan out, assuming they beat Iowa. Then it gets dicey. I guess at that point, you, you decide, okay, what's who's better? Winner of the Pac-12 title game, undefeated Florida State, or, uh, or, um, shoot, I forget. One of the pack, uh, or Texas, or Texas. I'm telling you, it's gonna be a crazy college football playoff. Let's see, got some comments here. Philip, what do you think about the Broncos? They are now six and five, dominated the Browns, and are looking really good. I think they will make the playoffs and could possibly make an upset in the AFC. They very well could, Philip. Uh, like how Russell's playing. Uh, again, Sean Payton has him kind of more in a game manager role, which I don't think is even a knock on Russell. He is getting up there in age. You know, we, we talk about, oh, Brady was 40 or 45. Guys, quarterbacks don't age like that. They just don't. Brady's an outlier. Uh, they just... He's a cyborg. I used to call him, back when he played, I used to say all the time on the show, he's a cyborg. We've never seen anything like him. But Denver's playing good defense, like you mentioned, Phillip. Uh, I think I saw a stat. They gave up that 70-point game to Miami. I think they've given up 80 in total in this win streak. So the defense has been uh, excellent, and the run game has been good. Russell's been efficient, not turning the football over. So they, they're a very real team that could potentially compete for, uh, for the playoff. Let's see. Patrick's talking about Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. He says, Whack Jones and Slack Wilson were blunders. The jokes keep writing themselves. Who's going to take flyers on him? No, they're, they're no, they're they're bad. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Tyler Helton says, I can't wait for the college football playoff. Me neither, Tyler. I can't wait for this weekend because last year was a lot of chaos because USC got knocked out by Utah. What else happened? Uh, TCU lost their championship game to Kansas State in the Big 12. Um, it is going to be, listen, I think the fate of the playoff 
again, it's the four-team playoff, uh, not not for much longer. But if you want a crazy selection Sunday, and I don't think this is going to happen for the record, let Alabama beat Georgia. Now what happens? Again, like I said, you cannot kick Georgia out. You can't. Okay, they're only, uh, they lose to Bama, didn't lose a game all last year, did, only lost one game before that, and they won the national championship. You can't get Georgia out. You're, you have to put Bama in because one loss, though, it, was, it was to Texas, and they would have beaten Georgia, number one team in America. You have to put Bama in. Uh, Michigan, going to put them in, obviously. Big Ten champion, we assume. They'll take care of Iowa. They're 23-point favorites on a neutral field. I th- to me, and listen, if it comes down to that, to me, I'm putting in the winner of Washington, Oregon, over Texas or Florida State. I have to. That's what I would do. And I, I love Texas. They've had a fantastic season. So is Florida State. Although, you know, again, to go back to the Bill Parcells quote, you are, your record says you are not always. They've survived some mid-teams in the worst Power 5 conference this year, the ACC. So uh, part of me's kind of, <laughs> part of me, see, part of me wants the chaos just for a crazy Monday show to react to it. And then the other half of me is like, yeah, but I kind of want the four best teams to get in, or at least who I perceive to be the four best teams. And again, I keep not mentioning Ohio State. I think Ohio State is clearly, clearly one of the four best teams, might be one of the three best teams. You know, Ohio State lost to Michigan last year at home. Playoffs said, yeah, they're still one of the four best. Now, if USC had won, that wouldn't have been the case, but we saw saw what TCU looked like against Georgia. We saw what Ohio State looked like against Georgia. NFL bodies all over the field for Ohio State. Not really the case for TCU. Not a shot at the Horn Frogs, but man, it was a travesty that TCU got in the playoff last year. Travesty. No doubt about it. Listen, all I want is great playoff games, and I simply don't think of Florida State. I'm not really sure of Texas. And I, Texas is a legitimate shot, no doubt. But all that to say, I can't wait for championship weekend, which kicks off on Friday between Washington and Oregon to kind of set the first domino. Because the winner of that game, I'm sorry, you can't kick out of the playoff. You can't do it. Should be fun. I'll predict those games on Friday's show. Let's transition now. As I put on my terrible towel, y'all. Got to put on my terrible towel right here. Okay, because uh, it would appear that the Pittsburgh Steelers now know how to play offense. At least that's what I saw yesterday. Now, a skeptic would say, Bryson. You're not actually bragging about the fact that the Steelers only scored 16 points and beat a team quarterbacked by Jake Browning by six. Oh, but I am. It's not, listen, it's not the fact that about the opponent. I expected the Steelers with a mid-offensive performance to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. I did. I, I thought regardless of how they play, better quarterback, better roster, especially without Burrow there, better coach. I don't care that Cincinnati's at home. Pittsburgh's going to win. There's a reason they were favored on the road coming in. Uh, the Burrow injury obviously makes a massive difference. But I don't know if you saw the news or read the headlines. But for the first time this season, the Pittsburgh Steelers outgained their opponent, and it gets better for the first time. And I'm not joking when I say the stat. For the first time since week two of 2020, my Pittsburgh Steelers had a game in which they gained 400 yards of offense. And it gets better. Because we all know, elephant in the room, Matt Canada fired by the Steelers. Finally, thank you, merciful God. Uh, you know, we're, we're finally showing that we care about offensive football. Bring two new play callers in. Kind of split duties. Okay? And they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the ball to our best players. 
we are going to get Najee Harris the ball in space, running the football. It's not going to just be same eye formation, up the middle, Najee Harris, a yard and a half, second down and eight. You know, we're going to be creative with our run plays. We're going to allow, or we're at least going to coach Kenny Pickett to say, hey, when a team blitzes, that doesn't mean you're going to get crushed in 0.5 seconds, unless you're playing behind the Panthers offensive line. If that's the case, you're not, not going to have any time to throw whatsoever. I'll defend Bryce Young on that. Um, Get the ball to George Pickens. What a, you know, really, you know, George Pickens is actually a pretty good player when the ball's in his hands. Get the ball to Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth, how about his stats yesterday? Nine catches for buck 20. Look pretty good. Use the middle of the field. It's a crazy concept, I know, but, you know, the you know, in the NFL, you don't just have to throw, you know, to the sideline every play. You can use the middle of the field if it's there. And you saw, literally, first play from scrimmage, Kenny Pickett to Pat Fryermuth. What, they get 25, 27 yards out of it? 24 yards. Okay, I overstated, but you get the point. He said, Bryson, 16 points? Yes, 16 points in large part because they couldn't cash in the red zone. But they got to the red zone. Here's where the Steelers' offensive drives ended, okay? First drive ended uh, at the Cincinnati 43. Okay, he got into opponent territory. Next drive after unspeakably bad effort by Deontay Johnson. I don't know what's up with him. He's getting in a fight with Minka Fitzpatrick. He dropped the touchdown. He's not going after loose ball fumbles. Don't like what I'm seeing from him whatsoever. There needs to be some hard conversations between him and Coach Tomlin. But nonetheless, on that drive, got down to the Cincinnati 15. Next drive, got to the Cincinnati 23. Next drive, you know, only got to your own 41, so it kind of stalled there. Uh, next drive, got down to Cincinnati 42. Next drive after that, got down to Cincinnati 47. Drive after that, actually scored a touchdown uh, on that drive from the five-yard line with Najee Harris. Next drive after that, field goal, got down to the Cincinnati 16. Next drive after that, field goal from the Cincinnati 15. Problem was they were only one and four in the one for four in the red zone. They need to cash in when they get down the red area, cash in with touchdowns. But they're getting to the red area. They're getting to the red zone. Kenny Pickett, efficient. By the way, how about this, folks? Pro Football Focus. Now, for those of you who don't know, Pro Football Focus, uh, esteemed website, literally their job, those hardworking people's job, is to sit down, break down film, and grade players. Zero to 100, okay? The highest graded quarterback of Week 12 was Rain Dakota Prescott, who is the MVP of the league in my estimation. The second highest grade, he got a 97 grade, by the way, which hasn't been done since 2007. We could talk about Dak another day. He's been amazing. Josh Allen, second highest graded quarterback by Pro Football Focus. He got a grade of 93.3. The third highest graded quarterback was old Kenny Pickett. Now, listen, I have been very lukewarm on Mr. Pickett. Before I was a Steelers fan, because those of you don't know, I didn't have an NFL team for the last three years. I used to be a Cowboys fan, but after the whole situation with Jerry and Dak, I'm like, screw it. I'll pull for Dak, not, you know, not be a Cowboys fan. I need a new team. And eventually this summer, I said, it's the Steelers. So I'm going to stick with the Steelers. Before I was a Steelers fan, and even as a Steelers fan, I've always been kind of like, you know what? There's some things with Kenny Pickett I like. He's good in the fourth quarter. He's got a lot of game money drives in his resume. There's some traits that I see. Mobile, pretty accurate. There's some traits I see that I, I can look at and say, you know what? That can be a franchise quarterback. I've never once uttered the words special about Kenny Pickett, which could be a problem in a loaded AFC. And we'll see how this offensive philosophy continues to evolve if Kenny Pickett is, you know, I said back in week two, I remember saying this verbatim when Matt Canada was there. I said, guys, I don't see special from Kenny Pickett, but I will not judge him harshly until he gets an actual NFL OC. One of the guys they have there, He's been an OC for two other teams. He's, he's been around the block. He knows how this works. Matt Canada does not. 
actually wrote a report today uh, from uh, you know come from somebody around the Steelers saying that Matt Canada would not consult other offensive assistants. He would not allow them to tweak his game plan or even take suggestions about his game plan. It was his game plan. It's my way, the highway. And they went nowhere. So, shocker, shocker, a little more open-mindedness in the offense looks different. Kenny Pickett, almost 300 yards passing. Najee Harris, 99 yards rushing, so a yard off from 100, obviously. But the Steelers ran for over 100 as a team. They're getting the ball to their best players. They're using the middle of the field. By the way, how about this stat as well? I saw this uh, today about the Steelers' offense, okay? Through the first 10 games, they were averaging 280 yards of offense. Yesterday, they had 421. They averaged 100, or well, they, yeah, because Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky's gotten some snaps as well. Averaged 100, 170 yards passing per game through the first 10 games. Yesterday, 268, almost 100 yards more than their average. This, to me, is the most mind-blowing. Over the first 10 games of the season, the Pittsburgh Steelers completed two passes that traveled over 20 or more yards through the air. Two. Yesterday, they equaled that. Two yards, two completions on 20 or more yards through the air. Allowing your quarterback to take shots, utilizing your playmakers. I'm, I still am not quite sure if Kenny Pickett's the answer. At least now I'll know for certain. He looked good yesterday. And listen, the Steelers are not going to be a team that scores 40 points a game. They're not. A lot of their offensive philosophy is kind of built on ball control, long drives, which there are some limitations to that. I'd like to see the big play a little more, given who you have in George Pickens. But at least, doggone, at least they're making the effort. At least they're not insanely predictable. And by the way, Lua Morano, good defensive heck, uh, defensive coach. Uh, de I'm sorry, defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Really couldn't stop Kenny Pickett and the Steelers all day. They were good in the red zone, but again, red zone offense is now the concern for the Steelers. But at least that's a concern now, and it's not just, can they get a first down consistently? Well, did yesterday against a well-coached defense. And by the way, I'll say this too, and this transitions away from just necessarily the offense, although the offense does play factor into what I'm about to say, folks. We are entering, we got a game tonight, Vikings-Bears, predict that at the end of the show. We're entering week 13 starting on Thursday night. The Steelers are going to win the AFC North. The Steelers are going to win the AFC North. I'll read it off for the podcast audience, those listening on audio. Let me show you the Steelers' upcoming schedule and then the Ravens. You look at Pittsburgh's schedule right there. Do we have it? I think it's out there. There it is, okay? The Steelers have the 2-10 and 10 Cardinals, the 2-9 and nine Patriots, Six and five Colts, a little frisky. Then the Burrowless Bengals, who will be worse than five and six. Then at Seattle, but we know how inconsistent Geno is. And then at the Ravens. And we know, despite how much better Lamar Jackson is than Kenny Pickett, those games are always tight. So again, repeat that. The Steelers have the Cardinals and the Patriots and the Burrowless Bengals and the Colts who are frisky, but don't quite trust them. And then Baltimore at the end. For the record, they're only two games back. Now, let's check the Ravens' schedule, on the other hand. So, they are put up the Ravens' schedule right here. There it is. They're on a bye week this week. Then they have the Rams. We know the Rams, eh, a little frisky, you know, in, in the playoff discussion, in the playoff hunt in the NFC. I don't know if you saw Stafford yesterday. He was incredible. Kyron Williams, same thing. Ooh. Then they got to go to Jacksonville, a place where you lost to a Jags team that is not as good as this year's Jags team. 
then at the Niners on Christmas Day, then the Dolphins, then the Steelers. It's coming down to Week 18. It is. It's coming down to Week 18 at Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium, Ravens, uh, Steelers for the division. I think my Steelers are going to win it. They've shown a pulse offensively. The defense, we know how good the defense is. T.J. Watt's fantastic. Joey Porter has been the best rookie corner in the league by a mile. Well, Coach Mike Tomlin, Steelers are not only making the playoffs. I predicted 11 wins for the Steelers coming into the season and making the playoffs and winning a playoff game. Now I'm thinking, division? Not Super Bowl contention. I will not go that far. You cannot win a Super Bowl against, at least with this team currently constructed, against a Mahomes, against a Lawrence. Uh, you, you can't. Could you win the AFC North? Oh, yeah. I think it's going to happen. Check out their schedules. Very realistic. Only two games back are the Steelers. And they got, again, we're, they're seven. my Steelers are 7-4 and four today. By not this Friday's show, but next Friday's show, they'll be 9-4 and four and trailing the Ravens. Barely. Comes down to week 18. That's what we're going to do. Uh, my man, John Rivera. What's up, John? John, Fan Perspective Podcast. By the way, I saw on Instagram last night, Fan Perspective Podcast. Congrats to y'all. Your four-year anniversary. Congrats to John, John, Henny, Dre, and everybody involved. Uh, very, very proud of y'all and what you'll be able to accomplish. John, John I, could, I consider a, a true friend. I've been able to meet him through through this content creation space. So um, shout out to John, John, to Henny, Dre, and the entire Fan Perspective Podcast. Y'all have my respect. Both, both of us have been going four years, man. There you go. We're like literally our anniversary of our show is like a month apart, which is really, really cool. But Tomlin said, yeah, John, John says, thank you. Hey, no, thank you for for, for the mentorship that you have uh, extended to to me and friendship you've extended to me as well. Shout out to John, John. But he says, in Tomlin, we trust. Uh, indeed. Indeed. Listen, the no losing record streak is certainly going to continue this year. But I think that division, now that the Bengals are 100% out of it with Burrow gone, the, the, listen, the Browns are not winning the division. Not, not with freaking P.J. Walker or DTR. Come on. And now, and this sucks, but Miles Garrett's hurt. Browns aren't winning that division. They may make they, they have a, a pretty good shot to make the playoffs. If you look at their schedule, they're not winning the AFC North. They're not. Steelers are. I'm telling you right now, we can go back and look at this, but on November 27th, 2023, we can go back and look on January. I guess this would be January 9th, I guess, right? Is that the end of the regular season? I believe it is. Sorry, January 8th. Okay, so on January 8th, 2024, Look back at this quote that I have from November 27th, 2023. The Pittsburgh Steelers will win the AFC North, will catch the Baltimore Ravens, beat them in Baltimore, and steal the North. You heard it here first, and hopefully this clip is playing <laughs> in the future on January 8th, January 8th episode of Carving It Up Live. I feel good about that. I feel good about that. I really do. Now, real quick, before I predict tonight's matchup, Bears-Vikings. Did want to go over the rest of Week 11's action. Now, we had four games, obviously, before Sunday. The three Thanksgiving games and the dud. That was the Black Friday game. But uh, let's look at the other ones. Jacksonville beating the Texans in what was a massive game in the AFC South. Decided, not decided the winner. We still have five weeks left to play. But 
or I'm sorry, six weeks left to play. I'm still still to this day getting used to the 18-week schedule. But Jacksonville won 24-21, did cover, barely. Trevor Lawrence was really good, 364 passing, a touchdown through the air and through and on the ground. Did throw a bad interception. Trevor's been struggling a little bit with the turnovers. I really wanted to cut back on that. Uh, but you guys know I've been a huge Trevor fan since his days at Clemson. I think he's a special, special talent. Hasn't been as good this year as I thought. He was my preseason pick to win the MVP. But Jalen's been, I'm not Jalen, um, Jalen's been good too. But Trevor has been, Really good as of late. Uh, as for the Texans, CJ Stroud, couple touchdown passes, uh, one on the ground as well. But uh, the poor kid, Amendola, who's replacing Kaimi Fairbairn, the kicker there, uh, who was injured, missed. I mean, when I say missed, by the skin of his teeth, missed a tying field goal that would have knotted it up at 24 and in all likelihood sent the game to OT. But an impressive win by the Jaguars, and they are 8-3. and three, And they're not getting the respect by the national media they deserve, but hey, Jacksonville is not a big market. Duval County, I got y'all, okay? I believe in y'all. I said y'all were going to make the NFC AFC Championship game and lose to the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, I'm still holding true to that. I love what Jacksonville is doing. Moving on to Colts and Buccaneers. That was uh, I picked Tampa Bay to win this game. Baker Mayfield got injured early, uh, did throw an interception. The offense really struggled to, to take care of the football uh, throughout. A couple fumbles uh, on the day. But listen, Gardner Minshew, Colts. Listen, Shane Steichen's a good, young, smart offensive head coach. Going to get Anthony Richardson back next year. But, hey, with a backup quarterback in Minshew, you very well might make the playoffs. Maybe if the season ended today, Colts are the seventh seed. They're in for last team in. So we'll see what they do. Again, the Colts schedule moving forward. Titans, you know, Titans a little, little feisty. This is Mike Vrabel we're talking about at, at, at in, in Nashville. Uh, right now, they're already two-and-a-half-point favorites. At Cincinnati, but no Burrow, of course. Then he got my Steelers. I'm rolling with my Steelers there, but then at Atlanta, then Vegas, and the Texans at home. So winnable games down the stretch here, given what we've seen from the Colts, but we'll see what they're able to put together. But impressive win, 6-5, and five, and very much in the in the mix for, for the playoffs. And an underrated story, too, that if Houston had beaten Jacksonville, the Colts would be a game back of the division. Wouldn't that be something? Without Anthony Richardson. And what we all consider to be kind of a rebuilding year. So hats off to Shane Steichen, the Colts coaching staff, and the Colts young players for, for getting it done. Falcons beat the Saints. This was a this was a painful one to watch as a Derek Carr fan. It's a painful one to watch. I've been a Derek Carr fan for a while, but that pick six, oh, to Jesse Bates, former Bengal, now with the Falcons, was just brutal. Oh, that it just hurt. Just, when I saw that, it was like, oh. It's one of those, I can't imagine, I, I know a Noah Saints fan. Shout out to my man, AGL. Uh, AJL. Check out his show, the NFL with AGL. Great guy. Big Saints fan. I can imagine how he felt. But uh, I remember I was watching that game. It's just, oh, you just sink in your chair. Like, ah, oh, Derek. And that, in some ways, might have been the difference of the game. But Desmond Ritter, a couple interceptions. But listen, Atlanta's running game is good. 228 yards rushing. So Atlanta today, in the worst division of football, has the tiebreaker over the Saints. They lead the NFC South. I mean, think about it if you're Tampa Bay. You lose a tough game on the road to the Colts, but you're a game back in the division. For the, rec for the record, right now, they have the tiebreaker over the Saints as well. I, I picked the Saints to win this division with a 9-8 and eight record, but I said, if they don't win it, Dennis Allen's the first one I blame. He's I've said this. I don't care if they've had a winning record, if their offense has been has been humming. Dennis Allen is, a, is an objectively bad head coach in the NFL. His record of Vegas says it. His record in New Orleans until Carr got there says it as well. Yeah, not, not, not a great loss for New Orleans, but everybody except Carolina has a shot at that division. I'll get to Caroline in just a moment. Uh, what I said would be the worst game of the year in some ways lived up to the billing. Giants beat the Patriots 10-7. to uh, Michael McCorkle-Jones was benched for the 
two, three, fourth time, fourth time this season. As a matter of fact, somebody on Instagram put together a compilation. I don't not really a compilation, but a graphic where it, <laughs> it was just tweets. I got to find this and put it on Instagram. It was a compilation of tweets from the Patriots Twitter account or X account, whatever, of tweets simply saying, I hope I'm not butchering this, Bailey Zappi has replaced Mac Jones at quarterback. Like every time Mac has gotten benched for Zappi, it's like somebody put this post on there. It's, it's, it's actually quite comical. I see up here Patrick's got some some comments here about uh, Mr. – yeah. He says to see Whack – he calls him Whack Jones. He, to see Whack benched again, and his candid comments were comical. Oh, the jokes write themselves. Return of the Whack strikes again. And there he is again. Yeah, there you go. Whack Jones strikes again. It's not – It's not. listen, I, I have been the Mac Jones critic in all of sports media, television, radio, print, podcast, whatever. I've been the, I don't even want to say anti-Mac Jones because that sounds kind of mean, but I've said since before he was in the NFL, I remember when that, when, when Alabama won the national championship against, it was Ohio State, Justin Fields was there. When they beat Ohio State in the national title game, Bama went undefeated. They had all these first rounders, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, some offensive linemen, great, great football team. And I, I remember saying, hey, Mac Jones was good and Alabama and all this. But I remember when the first report came out saying, yeah, Mac Jones is projected to go top 10 in the draft. I, I said Huh? He's what? He's top top ten in in the NFL draft. Yep. Which he didn't go third. I remember where the reports were saying Niners going to take him third. I was like, no, they're not. There's no way Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are taking. Which they took Trey Lance. That didn't work either. But Mac ends up going 15 in New England. And I remember saying that the rookie year was heavily overstated in terms of his impact. He had. Average at best start to his rookie season, but he's a rookie. Okay. But then the next six games after that, pretty good, efficient, not turn the ball over, winning some big games on the road and at home. And then his last four games of the season, go back and check the numbers. He had some games against Buffalo, against Miami, where he was terrible. And nobody wanted to point that out. He was terrible in the playoff game against Buffalo. Came back last year, was terrible. Uh, well, come on. It's, it's, they had a defensive coordinator calling plays. Okay. Well, Come in, replace with Bill O'Brien, who's called plenty of plays in his past on offense, and he's even worse. And Matt Bailey's app, he's not a whole heck of a lot better, but it's, it's I mean, 12 for 21, 89 yards, two picks, QBR 7, pass rating of 27. I mean, this is, I don't think Mac at his peak is this bad. I think if Mac played for the, for the San Francisco 49ers, he'd be fine. He'd be Gardner Minshew at best. But, I heard uh, somebody say on television, I think it was Nick Wright on First Things First on FS1. Love that show. And he said that this might have been Mac Jones' last game as a starter in the NFL. And by starter, he means what Nick said, and I agree with this. This might be the last game Mac Jones starts and is the starter for the team. Like if Mac, New England moves on and he ends up being... Just throw a team out here. He ends up being Kenny Pickett's backup in Pittsburgh. I pray to God that's not the case. But if, if that happens, okay, and Kenny Pickett unfortunately goes down and Mac Jones steps in, that's not what, what he was saying. He's saying with Mac as the starter, not starting a game or two for an injured start. No, the starter. And um, But but it's good news for the Patriots and Patriots fans because guess what? You're one step closer to Mr. Caleb Williams. Of course, they'll probably take some backup offensive uh, guard from uh, – Nowhere state. So 
We'll see. My man AJ, Alex Johnson for the Cam Fan Podcast, Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast here on the Grady Sub. Sup, sup, sup. What is going on, Alex? AJ, Cam Fan guys, had a great time, I'm sure, in Dallas. They were there for the Cowboys game on Thursday night uh, in Big D, in Jerry World. Uh, you know, the guys sent me a video. I literally, I, I texted, it was, it was actually AJ, not to like air out like private business or anything, but I, I texted AJ. I said like, Yo, yeah, I know y'all are going to Dallas. I said, just if you could do me one thing, I said, it won't cost y'all a dime, but if you could do me one thing, and that's record the Dolly Parton halftime show. Cause listen, I'm from Tennessee. Dolly grew up not far at all from where, uh, from where I live. And so uh shout out to Dolly, shout out to the campaign guys for getting the video. Shout out to you, AJ and all the guys, Alex and, uh, uh, Anth. Great, great stuff. And great, a lot of content. Given how the Cowboys are playing right now, a lot of content for their show. So please check their stuff out here on the Grid Network and on their YouTube channel uh, for sure. Camping guys are rolling right now. Uh, Panthers lost to Titans 17-10. Not much to take away from Tennessee. A couple rushing touchdowns from Derrick Henry. He's still King Henry. Uh, played well. Uh, Levis was fine. Um, the story right now, though, is Carolina. They just fired Frank Reich today, their head coach. Frank Reich's gone. Uh, they also fired Josh McCown, who was essentially their quarterback coach. They fired uh, Deuce Staley. I think Deuce Staley is his name. Running back coach. And uh, so Carolina's in turmoil. And I, I don't like this move at all. I, I don't like this move at all. Because the only coach in the Super Bowl era, I saw this, to have been fired midseason in his first season when his team just had the number one pick. Okay, so I'll, let me sum that up a little bit better than I did. Carolina had the first pick in the draft, right? They traded up to get the first pick, took Bryce Young, okay? This is the fastest a coach has been fired in his first year with the team when that team had the first pick in the draft in NFL history. Second place, Urban Meyer, who we know all-time great college head coach, all-time dud coach in the NFL, who was fired by the Jaguars. And some of that was not even just the Jaguars' performance. It was just the fact that Urban was bad in the building. Players didn't like him. Organization didn't like him. His staff didn't like him. Uh, it was just disaster in Jacksonville. Frank Wright got fat, fired faster than that. Now, I don't know if there's any in-house stuff that we don't know about. Again, there was, to my knowledge, didn't seem like there was any turmoil in Indianapolis between Reich and everybody else. I've always been a Frank Wright guy. He's been a quarterback whisperer. He was dealt some bad hands at quarterback a lot in Indianapolis. Uh, I don't like this firing at all. Because this just, as, as, as dysfunctional as inept as the Carolina Panthers were. And I get it's a win-loss league. You get decided, like I said with the Eagles, you know, you get judged on wins and losses. Same could be said about the Panthers, whose record is literally reversed to Phillies. They're one in 10 right now, worst team in the NFL. Um, To me, this just stunts Bryce Young's growth even more, unless you bring in a Ben Johnson and Eric Bieniemy, heck, a Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh took over a terrible situation in San Francisco. First year made the NFC Championship game and made it two years after that with a Super Bowl appearance sandwiched in there. But uh, people get on Bryce and be like, oh, the Panthers, they should have taken C.J. Stroud. Yes, I agree. I've said from the jump, I think C.J. Stroud's better than Bryce, but I will, I'll defend Bryce on this, okay, because I don't think he's bad. I don't. Go turn on, a, listen, the Panthers aren't on TV a lot. You know, the NFL doesn't want to put a bad product out there on national television, go turn on a Carolina Panthers game this Sunday. Who they play this Sunday? Who they got? They got Tampa Bay uh, in Tampa Bay, and the Bucs have a, a really a talented uh, defense, really talented front seven. Turn on the Panthers game on Sunday, and you tell me if Bryce Young has more than a half second to throw the football. The dude is running for his – I watched that game against Tennessee. I was watching – well, obviously, I was watching the Steelers game, watching the Saints game. I was watching the Panthers and Titans game. And, and I was really zeroing in, especially when Carolina's on, on offense. I'm like, oh, my God. Every time he takes a snap, Somebody's in the backfield. 
Could you give him something as offensive line? See, I'm not going to act like Strouds in Houston is, is the Great Wall of Dallas in the 90s or all those Patriots offensive lines with Brady, but my gosh, they are they are awful at offensive line. Which maybe I should have seen. I didn't see one in 10 coming. I actually thought the Panthers would be quite competitive and potentially challenged for the division. That is clearly not the case. They, they've got to get... They, listen, the receiving core is bad in Carolina. Man, if Adam Thielen's your number one, you you really... And Adam Thielen's a really good guy. You need a new number one. Uh, you need a new tight end running game. You need a lot of new pieces in Carolina, but this to me feels like an impatient decision by an impatient owner who happens to also be kind of a meddling owner in David Tepper. Uh, who My man Grady Edwards, I don't know if he's in the comments today, but shout out to Grady. Uh, he's a big Panthers fan, and he's been on David Tepper for a while. And I was kind of slower to it. Grady was right on this guy. Just, I'll say the same thing about Bryce Young. Different circumstances, but same vibe as what I said about Kenny Pickett. I said, I will not harshly judge Kenny Pickett until Matt Canada is gone. If Matt Canada's, and he is gone, by the way, and Kenny played well on Sunday, you know? So, okay, it's one game. Let's see if this continues. I will not judge Bryce Young until he gets a real offensive line, or at least a, a competent offensive line. I'm not going to judge, not until then. There's a reason he was the number one pick. There's a reason all the scouts loved him, despite the size. We knew Bryce Young was small. I mean, the, you don't think Nick Saban didn't know he was small in Alabama? There's a reason he was taking number one of all the draft. And this is a situation where it's the it's the number one draft pick bust that's either injured a lot or there's some maturity problems. Bryce seemed to be, guys in the Panther in the Panthers organization seem to really like him. Despite how inconsistent he's been, despite how bad this Panther season's been, they seem to like him within the building. That's something that matters. Uh I don't like this firing at all. I really don't. Um and, and this isn't an attractive job either. It's not. Uh I mean, Adam Schefter reported today on ESPN that there's going to be something like seven to ten coaching jobs available. Uh, we assume, I think I've read a report saying that Rivera is going to be fired by Washington. That's no surprise. You know, uh, Frank Reich has been fired, so that's two with Carolina. I think Sean McDermott's going to get fired by Buffalo unless they make some kind of incredible late-season stretch uh, or, or push through the playoffs. I think Belichick's gone in New England. Who else we got? Uh, just looking down the list here. Uh, McDaniels is already out in Vegas, so that's, what's that, four? Brandon Staley should surely to goodness he's gonna be out in NLA. That's five. Looking down the list, uh, Chicago probably fires Eberflus. That's six. I don't know what's gonna happen to Arthur Smith in Atlanta. My guess is he probably keeps his job, so we'll see. A lot of head coach openings, and Carolina is probably the least attractive. They don't have their first round pick. Uh, they have a terrible offensive line. I. I I don't like this move. I don't. What Bryce Young needs more than anything right now is stability. And you just made it even more unstable. That, that's that's my gripe with meddling owners. They they think they're the smartest guy in the room, and oftentimes they're the least smart in the room when it comes to football decisions. A couple of comments here from Patrick. He says, my biggest concern was Frank's, wow, Frank's ability to coach. I mentioned this in my article a few weeks ago. Dave Tepper doesn't know how to hire coaches. GM should be fired as well, potentially. Uh, and Patrick says, Panthers GM didn't help their case by not surrounding Bryce with an offensive line. No skilled players and expected Frank, uh, Frank to make it work. That's what I'm saying. Frank and Bryce were dealt a terrible hand. Now, you're not going to cut Bryce. You just you, you use up a lot of draft capital to get him, uh, and you trade DJ Moore to get him with the first pick. Travis not moving off Bryce. I mean, you can't give him what you gave up for him. Uh, I, I don't I don't like this move at all by Carolina. I hate it. Hate it. 
Uh, Bryce needs stability. You just made it a more unstable. But that's what poorly run franchises do. That's that's what they do, and that's what David Tepper, the owner, continues to do. Ram, I was dead wrong in this game. Rams beat the Cardinals convincingly, 37-14. Uh, Matthew Stafford, not one, not two, not three, four touchdowns on the day. Pass rating of 121, QBR 85. This is, I know he's not going to be in the running because the Rams probably, although you never know, Seattle's schedule's brutal coming up. Watch out for the Seahawks to, to kind of stumble in the next few weeks. The Rams probably aren't going to make the playoffs. This is one of the most incredible coaching jobs I've ever seen. And most incredible, you know, we, we just moved from an organization that's inept, uh, incapable of, of, of hiring smart people to make good decisions. The Rams are the opposite. I mean, the Rams aren't, let's be real, folks. They're not that much more talented, at least what we perceive coming into the season, as the Panthers. But Les Snead ace the draft. Puka Nakua making plays. Kyron Williams. Uh, some of their defensive players. Really good. Aaron Donald's still capable. Matt Stafford, you know, still got a lot left in him. Cooper Cup. And by the way, Rams offensive line is better now than it was a year ago. So, watch it now. L.A. schedule is a little dicey down the stretch. They play the Ravens. They play the Saints. You're, or no pushover. They play at the Niners. They play the Browns defense coming up this week, albeit that is in Los Angeles and not in, 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 um, in freezing cold Cleveland. But... Man, hats, shout out to Sean McVay. I mean, if we didn't know he's one of the best coaches of the league uh, to this point, I think we, I don't think there's any doubt at this point now. Broncos beating the Browns 29 to 12 in this game. And for the fifth straight week, y'all. Broncos country. Let's ride. The ride to a fifth straight victory. Russell Wilson, you just heard in that clip. Let's ride. Not a crazy offensive day. 134 yards passing on 22 attempts, a touchdown uh, rushing uh, and passing. But a QBR of 89, which is very good, and a pass rating of basically 92, 91.9. We'll call it 92. Uh, Russell was good. Russell's been efficient. Again, this Broncos defense, I've been saying this for a while about a lot of defensive coordinators that I, and I'm guilty of this, a lot of us got on these defensive coordinators, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, uh, Brian Flores, for struggling at the outset of the season. But it takes time to implement your scheme. And that's, you know, we're such a reactionary society, again, myself included, you know, it's it's the, it's the Gen Z in me. I can't help it sometimes. But um, I try not to be on the show. But you look at what the Broncos defense has done since uh, since week six against Kansas City, okay? Since that point, they gave up 19 to the Chiefs, 17 to the Packers, 9 to the Chiefs, 22 to the Bills, 20 to the, uh, to the Vikings, 12 to the Browns. Now, some of this is the fact that the Browns are in about as bad of a situation, the worst quarterback situation in the league, not named the New York Jets. I mean, you got DTR who's hurt, Deshaun who's gone for the year, and who wasn't wasn't even good before that. Now you got poor PJ Walker out there trying to make it work, and then Miles Garrett's down. So tough, tough spot for Cleveland. The good news though for the Browns, their schedule isn't exactly crazy. They got the Bears in their schedule, and the Jets, and the Bengals without Joe Burrow, and they own Joe Burrow. So you know, Jake Browning, they should be in an even better spot. But hats off, hats off the Broncos, man. They're playing great defense. Philip asked me a question earlier in the chat about uh, how they're playing. They look great, and. Excuse me. If we got on Sean Payton, ah, uh, didn't like what he said about Nat Hackett. Was he right? You know, Jets fans want Nat Hackett run out of town. Uh, and he's probably going to end up staying because uh, got to please Aaron Rodgers. Got to please Aaron. And Sean Payton's in Denver, Hall of Fame head coach, future Hall of Fame head coach. And uh, establishing a run game. Defense looks good. Props to the Broncos. I talked about the Chiefs game, talked about the Eagles game. Finally, Ravens Chargers. Uh, I don't like what I'm seeing from the Ravens right now. I don't like what I'm seeing for the Ravens right now. 
Uh, listen, we know the Chargers are poorly coached. This is a situation where this game, this game, listen, this game went on Staley. A lot of the Chargers losses have been, um, I've got on him about the fact that the Chargers are one of the worst defenses in the league in terms of points given up, yards given up, pass yards, the whole bit. And the fact that he's a defensive coach is, is, is unacceptable. And the Chargers fall to four and seven. He surely to goodness is probably going to lose his job. But this one, this one's on Kellen Moore. And it's on Justin Herbert too. Justin missed some throws that he normally makes. And it was a poorly called game, poorly played game in many respects by, by Herbert. I still fully believe that he is a superstar quarterback this league who's surrounded by awful, awful coaching. Head coach and OC. Uh, but I could have told you that coming of the year. As for the Ravens, yes, they're the one seed in the AFC. I'm, I'm, I'm that close to selling my Ravens stock. So I'll have to wait a couple weeks. They're on a buy this week. Can't sell my stock during a buy. But Mark Andrews have a lineup. That made a difference. Lamar wasn't, listen, Lamar was fine. QBR 36, eh, below average. Running game was good for Baltimore, though. Over 200 yards, almost 200 yards rushing, rather. But I don't know, man. That loss of, that loss of my man Andrews is, that could be a killer. That's why I still think the Steelers are going to catch the Ravens for the division. Really do. All right. So there's a recap of week 11 around the National Football League. I should mention this as well. Uh, you know what? No, actually, I'll save that for Wednesday's show. A little teaser. Little teaser for Wednesday's episode of Carving It Up Live. All right. We do have one game last uh, t- tonight t- to end week 12 in the NFL. It's an NFC North battle between the reeling Chicago Bears, obviously one of the worst teams in the league. Good news is they have their pick and they have Carolina's pick and the Minnesota Vikings right now. Who So, Minnesota. A three-point favorite. This is very interesting to me. At home, a three-point favorite. And we know the home team almost always gets the automatic three points uh, at home. So, Minnesota had a five-game winning streak. Lost to the Denver Broncos on a last-second touchdown last week at Denver. But Joshua Dobbs has been nothing, and I do mean nothing short of a godsend for this team. Obviously, Kirk Cousins goes down with the devastating Achilles injury. It's like, oh my gosh, we're playing well. Kirk's having one of the best seasons of his career. And it goes down with the Achilles. And what do the Vikings do? They do the opposite of the New York Jets. They say, you know what? There's a nice young quarterback. He's not that young. He's just seventh year in the league. Young by by human standards, not by quarterback standards. There's a guy in in um, in Arizona who shows some flashes of brilliance. Let's go get him here at the trade deadline. They trade for that guy, Mr. Josh Dobbs, the astronaut, Space Dobbs, whatever you want to call him. Whatever you want to call him. That's my man out of Tennessee. He comes in in relief with virtually no knowledge of the playbook, beats Atlanta. Then uh, uh, at home, he gets the Saints. Plays well. Counts for, for I think it was three touch, two or three touchdowns on the day, including a circus play where he ran for a touchdown. We've seen that in the past from him before. But this matchup, Chicago's offense, we, you know, we talk about this Bears offense that's struggling. They've had some big-time scoring outputs. They scored 26 on the road against Detroit. Uh, they have a game which they scored uh, 40 against the Washington Commanders. They have a 30-point game in the resume with Tyson Bajan at quarterback as opposed to Justin Fields. So, and again, the Bears probably should have won that game last week against Detroit. It's just the fact that Detroit's a gritty team, a good situational team, overwhelmingly so at least, and they were, they were able, able to steal that one at home. Divisional familiarity will certainly play factor. No Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. That does matter. Uh, he has missed this entire uh, streak of winning games, winning five of the last six games right now after the Minnesota Vikings, but for Minnesota, 
Their schedule coming up, a lot of winnable football games down the stretch. They do have the Raiders. They do have the Burroughs Bengals. They do have the Packers. So this is one of those games. Make sure you take care of business at home. I'm going to roll with the uh, with the Vikings to win this game and cover. Kind of a close-ish game, 27-20, one-score game. But I'll take the Vikings to win this one, get back to their winning ways, take care of business on their home field at beautiful, to me, one of the most gorgeous stadiums in all the land, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. I think the Vikings get it done 27-20, to 20, and Mr. Dobbs accounts for a couple of touchdowns, one through the air and the other on the ground. Like what I'm seeing from him, like what I'm seeing for the Vikings. They've been on Bryce's best 10 the last couple of weeks. Like what I'm seeing. All right, that is all time for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always, and contributing in the chat and, and, and doing what you guys do to keep the conversation flowing. Really, really appreciate it. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And, of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of y'all's day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000. Count that 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58. That is February the 11th. So we still got about two and a half months to get there. We've surpassed the 500, 500 subscriber count. I believe we can get there. I believe we have the strength in numbers to get to that point. So... If you have subscribed, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Please tell your friends and your family about it. If you have not, it takes a couple seconds. Bigger subscribe button down there. Red button says subscribe. Hit it. You're part of the Carving It Up family. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Also, just as important, go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. We have some fantastic content creators on there, both uh, writing for the Grid Network's website. Check us out, gridnetwork.com, and on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcast and platforms. Very, very talented people. Please, please, please go check them out. Fun show today. Great weekend of college football. Great weekend of NFL. Fired up about the Eagles not getting enough credit and the Bills need to fire McDermott. A lot of stuff today. And Wednesday, should be even better. Looking forward to it. See y'all then. 623 Pacific on YouTube and on Twitter on Wednesday, Carving Up Live. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We've got to address this problem. Fun game tonight. Let's go Dobbs. Let's go Vikings. Get the win tonight. See y'all on Wednesday. Reaction to this game and others. God bless you all. Peace out. And Draymond's back tomorrow, baby. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.